0: Hello, hello, welcome to episode 198 of Riot Act, the alternative music podcast, with me, the world's most hay fever ridden man, Stephen Hill, and him, Renfri Deadman. the, you don't suffer from this shit at all, dear. you? It's driving no. me mad.
1: No, I've never had hay fever in my life, and I'm uh, super happy about that.
0: <coughs> Listen to this. <sighs> oh, <I> just, <laughs> yeah, that's, that was yeah. pathetic. Yeah,
1: lovely. I'll try and edit most of those out.
0: Yeah, yeah. I just wanted the people to know how fucking rough this shit is. Um, hope how you're well... hard
1: it is doing a podcast. Well, just how hard it
0: is to walk down the street and not cough <laughs> your fucking brains up or like have your fucking nose feel like it's covered in concrete. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely unbelievable. Um, I am out in the sticks a little bit. I mean, we'll talk about actually being out in the sticks a little bit on today's show, I think, but... Um, I'm about the sticks and there's quite a lot of grass around here, so it's particularly bad at this time of year, particularly oh, bad.
1: So awful living in such a nice, leafy, green, grassy area.
0: Mm. It is, actually. <laughs> uh, on the show this week, we're going to be talking about new music from Porcupine. I'm not going to say their entire, you know, you'll understand why I've just called them, that's not their full name. But right, that's set Porcup- up to
1: a joke which is going to pay off in about an hour. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so I'll do it again. So you know it's a joke. So then this week we're going to be talking about new music from Porky, Alexis on Fire, Nervous, and Zola Jesus. Plus, we're going to be talking about the nicest looking venues in the world. Having just seen Nine Inch Nails a couple of times in a greenhouse sort of thing in Cornwall, um, <laughs> Otherwise we should known as say the
1: Eden Project, which is world famous, I believe.
0: Yeah, I think it is actually. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's only we don't know what people know about in like. Sicily and uh, <laughs> That's outer Mongolia, do we? So we, we can't really say that with anybody. We've not done any proper research on this yet. Well,
1: we can do that now. If we could have the person who thinks they live the furthest away, who knows of the Eden Project, tweet us, then we'll find out, won't we?
0: I don't know how we're going to do that because we're about to talk about the Eden Project for at least 20 minutes. <laughs> on, so everyone, show, so. I
1: expect a tweet from every single listener. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: we'd like to say a little thank you and then let it kind of build into a crescendo until it turns into a big thank you to our friends and sponsors over at Arctangent, the festival, the very, very fine festival that you can go to in, well, it's coming up, isn't it? The 17th to the 20th of, 20th? It is the 20th. The 20th is the 20th day of the the month of August. Seventeenth to the 20th of August this year. It's back, Arctangent, the post-rock, extreme metal left math of, rock left of center
1: yeah music which is a little bit to squiffy i guess
0: all that all that stuff all that it's back and they're sponsoring our podcast so we want to say a big 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 thank you to them opeth cut of luna tesseract are the headliners joined by mono zelanada maybe she will amon ra Alcest, godflesh leprous perturbator Soldier Soul, McCluskey, Enslaved, Caspian, Lightning Bolt, Jamie Lenman, The Armed, Bosk, Agent Fresco, Palm Reader, Puppy, Earth Toe Nine, Ruth Rundle, Rivers and Neil, A.A. A. Williams, Conjurer, Imperial Triumphant, Arab Frontier, Joe Quell, The St. Pierre, Snake Invasion, Mull, Aranzi, Pazuzu, Steak, Sugar Horse, Slow Crush, Elephant Tree, Talons, Dune, Pine, Her Name Is Caller, Alpha Mel Tea Party, Boss Keloid, The Hirsch effect, Pupil Slicer, Blanket, Bloodlet, Zetra, It. I'm trying to do every band that we've we've covered on the show yeah. from the lineup. It's a lot. Yeah. I can't be bothered to go down any further. I was like, oh, we'll probably better do every band. But no, because we have covered that many bands that are on this year's lineup, yeah. which goes to show two things. A, what a what a great lineup it is. But also B, what a thoroughly um Extensively researched podcast, we are to cover hey. all of those bands. Hey. So, aren't we great? Aren't we both great? So, go over to arctangent.co.uk forward slash tickets and put in the code RIACTATG, and you'll get money off an already reasonably priced ticket for Arctangent. I say money, is 10%, 10% of the money of a ticket. <laughs> to be precise. So thanks very much, guys. We look forward to hanging out and having a couple of um math rock rhythmed beers with you. Sure. If you like. Uh Good, right, okay. Um, Nothing on the Patreon page. Again, I'm not gonna really go into it. Go to patreon.com forward slash right podcast. If you haven't canceled, thank you very much. You. That's all I'm gonna say. Because we've been, you know, we've been a, a long way away from a long while away from actually doing anything on that Mm. but um we will be doing um that that sugar babes classic album that we've been talking about (laughs) over the weekend is (laughs) is is on its way i would actually quite like to do i would rather put up a sugar babes classic album than not do anything really so maybe we should do it i reckon i can bash it out
1: well you're excited about it because um they've just announced a reunion
0: i'm but let's get just fucking get into it so I think we should. Sugar Babes announced their first UK headline tour in over 20 years. Now, you're probably going, what? Why are you talking about the Sugar Babes? Well, I'll tell you what, it's the original lineup of the Sugar Babes what? who formed as a band. They weren't put together by a record company, they were a proper band, Sugar right. Babes, mm-hmm. right? Like a proper, more than the Sex Pistols were. Um, oh. And this is their they they're doing a first tour of that classic lineup of Siobhan, Mutya, and Kesha are doing their first headline tour in 20 years oh. they're gonna play the hammersmith apollo on a seven date 17 date tour they're actually playing glastonbury they're playing glastonbury in a couple of days from now um and i think they're playing the avalon stage tomorrow or today if you're listening to this podcast and uh it, they were going to be um subbing the damned which i was like how brilliant is that to watch the sugar babes and then the damned <laughs> but the damned have got covid and they have to pull out do you know who's I think Sugar Babes should be bumped up to headline this stage. But they've added a headliner and that headliner is Reef. Now, I think Reef are not as big as the Sugar Babes and I think they should sub the Sugar Babes personally. I mean,
1: Reef. The only way Reef can play Hammersmith Apollo is when they package it up with a tour. They they did do it a couple of years ago, but they mm-hmm. did it with TerraVision and and... Um... The Wild Arts. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And dodgy. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: mean, and dodgy. I mean, the Sugar Babes are doing it, headlining, they're not asking girls allowed on the Saturdays to come and play with them no. to sell it out are they and they're doing so two, aren't
1: they doing two nights at Hammersmith or did I make that
0: yeah one? yeah well uh, actually maybe you did make that up I've got the, well, the tour I dates mean, in front of me here the Sugar Babes it, are bigger
1: than Reef I think that's fair to say yeah
0: it's only one day at the um the event in Apollo but yeah Ooh. they're bigger than Reef I'm one I mean I was going to talk to you about what their set list might be then Renfrey and then suddenly I remembered who I was talking to
1: yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that would be relatively pointless yeah
0: hmm. um do you reckon they'll do any of the Heidi era stuff?
1: Oh, um,
0: any of the sort of?
1: I think people would angels with dirty faces. Yeah, and um, era stuff. Yeah, that era. Push the button. Well, but it's a classic, isn't it? So you can't it get is. away with not doing that stuff. You reckon? I only put this in because I know that you love them and it's one of your, you know, you you slightly... I know you like a lot of pop and stuff like that, but it's a very certain type of pop, which I don't normally associate you with. And I think it's a, a little bit of an oddity in your in your taste. So I threw it in there. Really? A little bit. Like, they're not pop in a sort of Duran Duran sense, are they? They're pop in a far more... I know you said that Of course they, they are.
0: Yeah. They're pop in the same, in the same way as Duran Duran are pop, but I mean, look... I don't know what you're getting at here exactly. What are you getting at? Because they're girls. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: think you know what? Yeah, fine. That's why I'm getting it.
0: Yeah. So you don't know, like the bangles? Are you going to slag off the bangles next? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sugar babes wrote their own songs, you know.
1: Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. They're a
0: proper band. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. But but it's not, It's wrapped up in a sheen. It's, it's wrapped up. It's
0: look very you know what shiny. You're think, but what you're thinking? Yeah, as if Duran Duran's not shining. Well, come okay.
1: On. Yeah, that's a good point
0: you're thinking of when they all left and none of them were, when it was just like Kesha left from the original lineup and they went very, you know, they went, they they went, they did a Bring Me The Horizon basically except they started as a pop band and that first album it's very sort of quite lo-fi, you know, I guess kind of solely Macy Gray, thinking of someone who was around at the time, almost elite, maybe kind of slightly cooler than Alicia Keys, more towards, I'd say, an evolved All Saints rather than Spice Girls. Okay. Or Girls Aloud or something. Well. It's only when they started getting new members coming in and then they were controlled a lot by the music mm. industry machine that they then became more of a sort of atypical girl band. But I don't think on this lineup that is touring this tour is not really like that. Okay.
1: I'm happy to hold my hands up and say I'm ignorant on this one because. To be honest, what I know about Sugar Babes you could write on the back of a postage stamp. So yes. My bad.
0: You know a couple of the big songs though, right?
1: Well push the buttons the first one that comes to mind when you say Sugar just Babes.
0: Cause, just because I that's the one I just said. Is no, no,
1: no, no. That that is that is the first one that I'm aware of, which I think is not the era that you're talking about. No. Um, you know, remember
0: the, I'm talking of train comes, I don't know its destination. It's a one-way ticket to a mad, mad situation. Oh, I must that, song. that
1: rings a bell. Mm. Ish. Sort of. hmm Yeah. I think that's what we're going to get era.
0: out it. And, um, you know, Freak Like Me with uh, the, the Gary Newman mash-up. Okay. it's a number one. Fucking amazing. Oh, right. Anyway, okay. probably spoken about Sugar Babes as long as we need to, <laughs> really. I think so. Uh, also, here's a, a, a something. i tell you, we haven't had a little pop-up. Um, I was going to say thinly veiled pop-up. They're not really that thinly veiled. Um, there is a documentary coming out on... I mean, this should be fascinating. It's called Vince Neil, My Story. It is a documentary about Vince Neil, um, which is coming out. It's going to be airing this Sunday. So set your Sky Plus for it. Uh, It's going to be on a television network called Reels with a Z, W-E-E-L-Z. I've never heard of that network before, but they have seized the opportunity to make a documentary about uh, frontman Vince Neil. Now, you might have seen in the news this week that tour with Def Leppard, Motley Crue and Poison that's going around the U.S. It's finally happening around the U.S. Um, Sounds like my idea of hell. A bit like this kind of Weezer Fallout Boy Green Day tour. One bullet, one bullet, where'd you put it? <laughs> one bullet through the heads of all of those two tours lined up against each other, and you've got one bullet that will go through the heads of all of them. You still probably do. I don't really want to shoot Def Leppard, and I don't really want to shoot Weezer, but you know, there'll be collateral damage.
1: Yeah, I really hope this doesn't end up happening because then you've basically confessed in a public forum and um, I think this will be used in evidence against you.
0: Yeah, but then also the other evidence I would use against it would be that I'm not in the United States of America, I'm here. So I couldn't have done that. But if a copycat killer was to hear this and go, what a good idea <laughs> and do it, and I was the inspiration for that. It's
1: not, I'm all right with that. There's nothing that can be done. There's nothing, that, There's can nothing
0: that can be done. There's yeah, nothing shoot. that could be done. Okay. If I actually, like we were saying yesterday, there would probably be a big backlash against us, and yeah. then it would just make us loads more popular. So actually, so would how be fanatical
1: for... are you? How much do you really love us, listeners? Would exactly, you kill yeah. for us? Yeah, you us? listening? Would you kill
0: <laughs> Vince Neil for us, please? Or or Billy Joe Armstrong? You know, I'll let you guys pick.
1: I'm... Don't kill, uh, don't kill Billy Joe Armstrong. At yeah, least definitely he wrote
0: go good songs. Yeah, that is true. Anyway, so there's been really severe weather uh things that have been affecting the tour. Uh Tommy Lee had to retire from the tour after like half an hour of the first Motley Crue song because he like hurt his back or his bum sore or something like that. I didn't really read it properly. And um so it's not going that great. But anyway, there's a a little thing that's been doing around about Vince Neil's documentary. This documentary's coming out about Vince Neil. And I would like to get your your, um, your reaction to this quote, Renfrey. Oh. He says, I hated being in the recording studio. I would sing something and they'd be like, no, no, no. Don't sing it like that. Do it like this. It was just criticism. And finally, I was like, go fuck yourself. And I'd just leave. You know, I don't need criticism. When you're singing, you need support, not criticism. Your reaction to that quote from Vince Neil.
1: I think... Vince Neil probably could do with an awful lot of criticism to be honest to put him on the uh, correct path because um, I mean he's world renowned as a bit of a joke these days even Motley Crue fans can't they can't defend Motley Crue live now in 2022 I don't think they could defend Motley Crue live in 2015 really so yeah
0: 1984 yeah, probably. Yeah. I haven't seen this team in I ninety mean, four. I was gonna say, <laughs> I yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, no, I agree. I it's just it's a weird thing to say. I mean, we did actually uh, to give him a slight bit of like, well, maybe there's something to this. Uh we did do a broken record on Generation Swine by Motley Crue. And we did say that Tommy Lee and Nikki Six, who were kind of co-producing the album. Were te- was telling were telling John Karabi, who was the vocalist who took over from Vince Neil, who they kind of wrote and recorded all of that album with, and then just kicked him out and got Vince Neil in and went, "Can you sing over these songs that we've written for someone else and just sort them out so we're the classic lineup yeah. back together again?" Um, but they were going, "Oh, make it sound like Nine Inch Nails and Oasis and Ella Fitzgerald and Ministry." and Jimi hendrix and all but make it a bit more like pantera as well and he was like what what the fuck are you on about so i imagine that being in the studio with the other members of motley crew is somewhat frustrating yeah very very frustrating i would imagine but also i have to say you probably would have to have your vocals critiqued somewhat if you're anyone let alone if you're vince neil yeah If you're Vince Neil, of course you're getting your fucking... Can we do another... And it probably wasn't in criticism. It's probably just like, Vince, can we do another take on that? Because you sounded a little bit off or whatever. And he's gone, I'm not having this. I don't sound off. And he obviously does. There's a lot of
1: talk in the A Year and a Half in the Life of Metallica documentary, which I'm absolutely certain you've seen. I don't even need to ask you. um, About... James's new approach to vocals and stuff like that and th- especially with Nothing Else Matters and songs like that and like opening himself up a little bit more and being not afraid to like actually sing um, and I mean you know whatever era of Metallica you enjoy it's pretty difficult to deny that James Hetfield from Black Album onwards became the really incredible singer that he is now you know and, and yeah but as it's explained on the documentary i mean they don't go into detail but there was an awful lot of butting heads to get there
0: but you want to do it come and sing it yourself all that shit <laughs> yeah
1: exactly <laughs> yeah um but yeah you ha- that's a process you have to go through in order to get better
0: mm. Mm. and it's a process that clearly vince neil has never been through <laughs> quite (laughs) (laughs) anyway look forward to watching that we'll be reviewing that next week Uh, no of course you won't obviously not Um, I don't really want to watch that so big story on the BBC News website Uh, headline reads arrest made at unlicensed music event in Norfolk pig shed and then underneath it is a picture of the sign to the venue in a place called Thetford Forest on the edge of Thetford Forest Methwold, a bit like Methworld, crystal meth and world, but with an R missing. Um, and what looks like a sp- the picture is what is that like a Spitfire driving over a church? By the looks it of things, it looks like it, yeah, yeah,
1: flying over a church, not driving, but yeah.
0: Oh, right, okay, yeah. It's a tractor next to it that's driving.
1: <laughs> the tractor is driving, yeah, I will give you that, yeah,
0: yeah, which is. What's the, horse, what's the horse picture.
1: doing? Is the horse driving? G-
0: glopping? <laughs> glopping. Gl- glopping. <laughs> yeah.
1: Trotting, I would say. Sorry, yes. This, this, this has turned into a fucking English lit lesson. Mm. Yeah, go
0: on. Six people were arrested after about 100 people discovered in a former pig shed at an unlic- unlicensed music event. Norfolk Police said it was called just before midnight on Saturday by a member of the public who said they'd seen su- suspicious activity on land by Manfred Road in Methworld. Uh, Officers arrived at 4 a.m. on Sunday and found music being played intermittently. They closed entrances, seized vehicles and equipment. The force uh, said officers monitored the event throughout the early hours of the morning and placed police vehicles to stop more people from entering. Two men in their 30s, a boy in his late teens and a man and a woman in their 20s were arrested. The woman was released under investigation and the remaining suspects were released on bail until the 30th of June. Um, This is the 1994. If any of you heard our... (laughs) prodigy special this is the 1994 criminal justice bill being put into action isn't it renfrey surely you can't even invite a hundred people to Methworld to your pig shed anymore to listen to a few tunes without the pigs coming down and the fuzz coming down and ruining it for you
1: yes quite absolutely i i just thought that this was a hilarious story really i love the fact that uh from the moment the police were called at midnight they got there at 4am it took them four yeah. hours to get there like what are they doing um, maybe there's no one on shift between the hours of 12 and 4 maybe maybe they don't need it uh, but they clearly do with things like meth world going on um,
0: yeah it sounds fucking mental <laughs> Imagine absolutely <putting> mental
1: <laughs> I just thought it was mm. funny
0: yeah I don't really have much else to say about no. that other than just Speech the for Headline, yeah, good headline, good picture. Interesting little story. Great. Yeah. Let's let's move on. Let's talk about some of the things that uh, we have been listening to this week, or at least trying to listen to. Let's start with Porcupine Tree. Closer continuation, the 11th album from the Prog Rock Icons, and their first album since... So i cut out there. I'm actually only going to be doing half of each sentence for this review, as I have only heard half of the album due to the quite rubbish stream that was sent to me. Um, and we appreciate it being sent to us, but I can't actually listen to the record, unfortunately. Let's take a moment so,
1: now to thank all of the PRs who send us uh, promos in advance. It's very much appreciated. Yeah. Um, I don't
0: think it's the, pro- it's the PR's fault in any way. No. They did send us this. Unfortunately i have tried for many days now to just listen to this record and it keeps telling me that i either i can't and turning it yeah. off halfway through or just stopping for absolutely no reason i so
1: believe that the this is not interesting <laughs> but in the in the uh uh arguments of balance i believe that sony are trying out a new promo system to send people and i think there's some bugs in it and, and i mm. had issues as well, well. i persevered because uh, i really enjoyed this record i'm gonna say right at the top but um yes it was a little bit annoying
0: yeah i mean i particularly like the four songs you can hear on spotify i have to say <laughs> Well,
1: that uh, is that is over half the record, in theory. There's it is over half the record. record so.
0: so, yeah. So I guess I have, in theory, heard kind of 80% of this record. Yeah, okay. Which is good. <laughs> which is, you know, not really what I would like to do usually in terms of actually having a review for it. So I'll probably will keep this rather brief. Although I massively am excited about this. I was excited about this because I love Porcupine Tree and getting into them around Fear of the Blank Planet and sort of going backwards. I still think Fear of blank planet is my favorite because when they're sort of super riffy and quite aggressive, which are not always like that, but like more so than the the more progressive stuff or even some of the kind of poppy stuff, I think they're really good and there was a little bit less of that I found on the incident, which is still a good record but I didn't but that's the uh, last one isn't it the incident prior um, to this yes prior to i, I this,
1: yeah. I'm just gonna rep for the incident very quickly because it gets quite a bad rep, and the band themselves aren't very big fans of it but um I don't think it's Porcupine Tree's best record by quite some distance, and I do recognise the faults, but it might be my favourite, which is uh, a strange thing to say, but yeah, I think it's great.
0: Right, okay. right. I could do
1: it. I I like it so much, I could do it on a classic album, I
0: reckon. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm,
1: I really like it. That and um, the one that has trains on it, In Abstantania, I think, are the two. Yeah, well that's...
0: that's... that's brilliant i think that's yeah.
1: recognized as if porcupine tree have a classic i reckon that would be it yeah in absentee
0: really i would have thought deadwing would be or even fear a blank planet would be considered the kind of classic But i don't know mm. i think they've got a run where they're all pretty good mm. and i don't think the incident is as good as any of those three that we've just mentioned I'll, I'll also
1: say every single Porcupine Tree record I've ever heard is at least like really interesting and has some really mm. awesome, interesting stuff going on with it. And they've done so much over their career. I mean, Stephen Wilson's initial idea of wanting to be like Pink Floyd. I think he's done that times 10. I, th- I, I do think Porcupine Tree, if you take their whole discography, is as diverse as Pink Floyd's. I think, you know, it's incredible. Times 10? Not times 10, but it's as no. diverse. I was being yeah, I yeah. Was being at the top
0: uh and i really like that last stephen wilson album as listeners um, from a little while back will will know i still listen to that album a lot it's fucking brilliant and i think he's got stuff like walk the plank on on this record which is a little bit more electro and i sort of really like that style i think it really suits stephen wilson's voice Mm. i think they don't really sound like they've aged at all on this record which is one of the most impressive things Mm. about this i think when you think it was like it's what 13 years since uh, it or is. 10 years? It's a 12 years since 13, uh, last 13. album. 13, right, yeah. So it's 13 years of that an album. And kind of anything on here really sounds as uh I mean they're not really known for being the most aggressive or energetic band. But yet there are some really like cool heavy riffs on here, Rats Return and stuff. Right, you know yeah. like like fucking great and it's mixed with that more kind of ethereal and electro my, I, I'm, I'm going to stop short of saying electro poppy, but that kind of more electro, electronically driven stuff that Stephen Wilson was doing on yeah. that previous record uh, on um, uh, I can't remember what's called now. I want to call it Personal Shopper, but that's not what it's called. Uh, the hand that feeds. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck's it called? Oh my god! It doesn't, it doesn't matter. That last Stephen Wilson album, you all know what it's called. Um, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, this is good. You know, this is a really, really good return from a band who i like a lot yeah i mean i'd like to listen to it in full as intended but <laughs> apart from that
1: yeah i i think it's a really i mean it is a bit of a slow burn like the first time i heard it i was like i'm not sure i feel like all porcupine tree albums have at least a through line where it's like okay this is the psychedelic one this is the you know they same signed to roadrunner so this is the one with loads of like metal type riffs on it you know um and it took me a little while to like figure out what the through line was for this record, but I think it's what you said, really. It's kind of like that really rocky, very, very proggy. I mean, obviously Porcupine Tree are a very progressive band, but some of the moments on this album feel like the most prog they've ever been. And yeah, it's actually not a very long album. It's only 48 minutes, so it feels... It doesn't feel like a massive undertaking, this album, which I think it really benefits from because it still feels like it has a lot of weight to it. Um, yeah. You mentioned- That's
0: something I really like about Porcupine Tree can I just yeah. say is that yeah. actually their albums considering they are a very progressively minded band their albums you know a lot of those bands they do write these massive long fucking albums and Porcupine Tree don't Tend to do that as much, so they do feel quite short. And I suppose they would feel quite short when you only get to listen to half of every song. But um you know, yeah, they, yeah.
1: Broadly, I would say that's true. There are exceptions, of course. The incident is a double album, is around mm. an hour and a half or something like that. But, but in the main, I mean, Fear of a Blank Planet is less than an hour, isn't it? It's like fifty yeah. something minutes. So, they are very good at doing that, and that proves the case here. I mean, and begins with like some really funky slappy bass and some weird discordant synth chords before steve wilson comes in sounds absolutely huge that song head culling really had huge tall vibes for me but like often when we talk about a tall-esque vibe to a song it's sort of damning with faint praise because it's like well fair play for your ambition but you're never actually going to get there are you I think on that song, they kind of do. I mean, Porcupine Tree can actually pull it off. Probably my favourite song on the record, I think, um, Head Culling. Um, I think it's a really, really great record. It's really nice to have a comeback album that uh, feels a part of their discography already. You know, like, often you have quite a big disconnect when there's been that long between records. And it was such a surprise as well. The Porcupine Tree were going to come back because Steve Wilson's had phenomenal success with his own career. I think it's a brilliant move for Porcupine Tree to come back because they're playing Wembley Arena, and like they never would have played Wembley Arena. I mean, when I saw them, I saw them at Shepherd's Bush Empire, you know. Mm. But
0: um, I think think the last time they played was like Hammersmith Apollo, Hammersmith Apollo kind of thing. Mm. So yeah, but Wembley Arena,
1: I don't think they would have done back
0: in no, no, no. And I
1: believe it's close to being sold out it might even be sold out so like that's amazing you
0: know yeah it's really good it's really good like what i've heard of it obviously i feel kind of (laughs) weird saying this album is good when i haven't actually heard it in full but but i really like porcupine tree and i've liked all the things that they've done and i like this yeah Yeah. good good you know um i like this album i look forward to listening to it (laughs) uh that's close to continuation by porcupine tree It's another big comeback album that as well, out today, if you're listening to this podcast, the day it comes out, Otherness by Alexis on Fire again, 13 years without an album for yep. the Canadian post hardcore band. Um, this is the first, again, obviously, since their reformation. It feels like they've reformed plenty of times over the years. Alexis on Fire it feels like they've sort of reformed and gone away, or just and there's been a lot of they're doing a bit of a system of a down, it feels like.
1: Um, I think that's a tiny bit unfair just because. In reality, they've reformed once, come back, done a couple of shows, then just not done anything for, like, a year. But the band hadn't, like, broken up, technically. There was a hiatus after uh, uh, Old Crow's Young Cardinals, but they, they kind of got back together. It was, like, five or six years ago now, maybe even seven years ago. So it feel, it's certainly been a long time. It was a bit like when the Pixies reformed. Like, it took, like, ten years for the Pixies to actually release new material. After they formed, and yeah, this is sort of a similar kind of deal, except it's been more like six or seven,
0: yeah, okay, fine um i I mean I would I just thinking as I was listening to this, I was like, I don't think I've ever listened to an Alexis Sunfire album all the way through in my life. Mm. not sure I've ever got to the end of one of the albums ever, so I don't really care about this in any way whatsoever. I've got no strong feeling about this band coming back at all. I know you like him mm,
1: I, I love Alexis On Fire and actually they're one of the bands they're a band who I lumped in with a particular type of scene probably because they play a lot of the shows that those kind of bands play it's kind of walk tour type thing um, and um, a, a lot of the stuff in those scenes I don't really like so I kind of just assumed that they would be a band that I wouldn't be into for a really really long time and then I think it was Gil going on about it Going on about um, Old Crow's Young Cardinals on the Old Metal Hammer show uh, podcast, and uh, I checked it out, and I thought it was absolutely amazing, and was very different to what I thought it was going to be. Um, and I'm curious to know if that's the case with you or not.
0: No, I think I know what they sound like. Right. And they, I, I mean, this sounds like. I, I mean, actually, I like. I mean, I i don't really know what to say about this album really like i don't have a loads to say about it to be honest i quite like uh there's a couple of bits there's a song called blue spade on it which reminds mm. me of baroness yeah which i quite liked yeah. and there's a song called mistaken information which i thought was much more kind of dreamy shoegazy kind of whatever and i know dallas green has gone off and done city, city in color yeah and again i mean i'm not really that familiar with city in color but i know it's more of a kind of uh acoustic-y emo-y heart on sleeve type of thing and i sort of feel like i like i never am i right in saying that people sort of consider him to be like the talent in the band i
1: would go as far as to say secret weapon Um, I I certainly, and and it feels like there's a lot of Dallas Green on this album compared to other Alexis on Fire albums. And there's actually also, I mean, I think this is an absolute home run, this album, because it is very recognisably Alexis on Fire, but at the same time, they're doing a whole bunch of stuff on this record which they have never even touched before. Stuff which almost puts them into, like, proggy territory. There's some synthy stuff on here that almost sounds like the hushed and grim synth stuff that you were like not super super keen on and I'm not saying that as a sort of positive for you because obviously you're not a fan of that stuff but it's definitely not something Alexis has ever done to my knowledge I don't recall them doing anything like that on those four albums they seem to have concentrated a little bit more on the slower songs as well I would say that certainly up to a point certainly up to Crisis Alexis on Fire were basically a punk band and you wouldn't really call this a punk album, would you? There are a couple of punky songs on it. Conditional Love, I would say. Uh, there's definitely a couple more. Uh, Sweet Dreams of Otherness. I mean, the first single's pretty, pretty punky. But there's probably more slow songs than fast songs. And I actually don't think that's a problem, because I've always thought that Alexis on Fire have been really good at doing heartfelt, good, open, enveloping uh Slow songs, and so it proves on this record. I mean, the the last song, World Stop Turning," is eight and a half minutes. This epic track with a Zeppelin-esque guitar intro, and breaks into an epic, anthemic, distorted, ridiculous O.T.T. guitar solo, like Slash-worthy. And again, all of these things are not things that you would associate with Alexis on Fire. So I think it does that thing which a good comeback album does, in that it is familiar and yet Quite different
0: at the same time. Uh, it's interesting is that it's quite different. I mean, for as soon as I put it on, I was like, "This is kind of what I imagine Alexis from on Fire to Sound like." Mm. But I did also find myself going, "The stuff that I didn't necessarily uh, associate with them as much, which are basically the stuff that we've just mentioned, mm. were probably my favourite bits on the record." I still probably think, mine as you know, well, if I'm honest, it's yeah, it's not a punk album, probably not. But then I think um, it's not not a post-hardcore album either
1: no, I would agree with that.
0: Yeah. Cause I think even the things where like committed to the con, the first song, I mean, you wouldn't call it a punk song, quote right. unquote, but I still think it's more of a kind of, um, it's got that kind of slashy, upbeat, jaunty kind of heavy feel to it. And I was like, yeah. Oh yeah, this is kind of what I thought they were going to be. I th- and I they're think pretty good at really doing that. They're better at, they're better doing that than than like refused to are at the moment. For oh my god! I
1: mean, yeah, this is ten times better than the the, the stuff. Refused yeah, have come it actually with is. Since, yeah. yeah, it's fucking great. I mean, I think committed to the con <laughs> is a really says a lot about Alexis on Fire as a band because it's a quite an unusual song to kick off any album, let alone your comeback album after 13 years. It's really lurching and dark, not necessarily instantaneous. I didn't really get the hook in commits the con until like the third time i listened to it which is that which side are you on like which is awesome but it took me like three or four listens to get it in my head so i thought that's a really sort of brave interesting move and i think that's what puts alexis things like that i should say is what puts alexis ahead of their peers for me they, they are actually yeah. a much more experimental odd bands than people would give them credit for i think but you have to delve into the albums to realize that
0: mm. okay i mean yeah i this is pretty good i guess like i mean it, it hasn't made me want to go and listen to alexis on fire's back catalogue i've got to be honest but okay. it's all right
1: i i think it's a really good comeback record in terms of their output they've got five albums including this one this is my third favorite Is it? Okay, slap bang in the middle. Slap bang in the middle, but I think that is, you know, for the first record back in 13 years, when you think of all the comeback records that have been so disappointing, I think that's pretty good going, and I certainly will be going back to it. I don't think it'll become, you know, a classic or one of my favourites or anything like that, but I think it's a really good album, and I'm excited for what they'll do in the future, definitely.
0: Hmm, all right, cool. Well, there you go. Um, Otherness by Lex on Fire is out today as well, as is The Evil One by Nervous, the fourth album from the uh, UK Polished Punks. Polished punk rock... Polished. Polished. I not really... Mm. Well, they just sound much poppier than they did when they first came out, I think. Like, everything sounds a bit beefier and bigger and shinier, I think. I think they're
1: more polished than they were, but I still wouldn't describe them as a polished sound, but sure.
0: No, I'm guessing, like, yeah, I'm not going to like that. Um, M. Foss is one of the best songwriters in this form that britain has produced in a long time i think preach she's fucking excellent and i Mm. do love all of their records yeah and i think it's interesting to see um nervous um continue to sort of creatively spread their wings Mm. on this record even though they spread them in some directions which i'm maybe that's not the sort of thing that i am that interested in Ah. like generally speaking
1: okay interesting
0: um so there's i mean what i mean is there's a bit of sort of folk punk thing going on here right
1: yeah which was a real surprise but um i suppose i was aware of this because i went to see nervous play portals festival uh late last year and they played i wish i was dead which is probably the song on this album if you had to single out one song which is the most like oh that's a bit different it's probably that one. It goes for a far more Americana, Bruce Springsteen-y type vibe. And it was immediately apparent live. Like, even as a live version, it was like, this is, this is very different. But I really liked it. So and, and when I came across it on the album, I immediately, within seconds, recognised it. I think that's a sign of a really powerful song. Having heard it once, then you don't hear it again for several months. And then it comes in and it's like, yeah, I know the song. Like you know well I was gonna say
0: that an absolute yuck are the two mm-hmm. we were i also um i'm gonna give that its correct name by the way, I wish I was dead bill hicks uh yes. is the is the name of the song, which I appreciated as a as a nod m I get it i get I get what you're referring to um do you get what yes. what that is about good, yeah, everyone's got that, have they? easy in it to be dead bill hicks um but it is a good song like i think it's a great. good song yeah. i mean you know I, although I will, what i would say is i mean look, i'm just saying if you hate frank turner so much why are you trying so hard to sound like him <laughs> I,
1: it did i wasn't going to mention it. It, it it did cross <laughs> my mind but you know but hey it's a great song so i don't it doesn't matter it is a
0: good song it is a good song but i mean look mm. It's less my favourite, my, my kind of my go-to type of music that I like, particularly from uh, Nervous. So I think you know can shit out the type of stuff that I do like very very easily and do quite a lot throughout this record. Um, Drop Out is one of my favourite songs yeah. on it. I think it's wicked. That kind of driving melodic punk with weird, quite weird time signatures within the riffs. that I think M does mm-hmm. really well. Mm-hmm. That are great, like a kind of British alkaline trio. Mm. Um, Chew it is like something from that first Can't Swim album. I think that's really, really yeah. good as well. Love the like, riff on chill. Yeah, yeah. There's plenty of stuff on here, which is like the first song, um, "Iconoclast," uh, is you know, just like so immediate, so instantaneous. I just think this is a very, very good band. This is a very good band, and I'm glad that they're doing things that are that aren't just the same record over and over again because it doesn't sound like any you know i was gonna say it doesn't sound anything like, like the last record it does sound something like the last record mm. obviously mm. it does mm. but you know there's enough stuff to kind of differentiate it from all the other nervous releases and it has its, it's own
1: character yeah which i and think it's is it's, important
0: it's a it's a direction that like me personally um for the sort of thing i like i might not have gone down that direction mm. but um you know unhappy that they're doing something different really
1: uh, you'd much rather that they're doing something a little bit different than churning out an, a, an album that sounds like i mean not that the other three are all identical but certainly this is the biggest shift nervous have made musically between records i would say yeah that's fair and it's probably it's probably only two or three songs on the album if i'm honest that drag it into that but they're so different that Mm. it does make it feel like that there's plenty of stuff on here if you if you love nervous and you're like oh my god they've really changed they haven't like their identity is still very much in place as a band um they're just trying something a little bit different and and i'm into it i i understand what you're saying about it not being wouldn't be the choice that you'd make but but i i think it works
0: yeah i mean it does work because it's objectively well done yeah yeah, so, you know. Uh, anyway, it's out now, in fact. Um, the Evil One by Nervous. And that gives us one album left that we want to talk about, which comes from Zola Jesus. The album is called Archon. It is the sixth studio album from the Arizona-based singer-songwriter. The first album she's released since 2017's A Covey album, which is a record that uh, came about before we even a podcast. I don't know much about Zola Jesus, although I have heard the name a whole bunch of times. Uh, she used to be on Mute Records, I believe, which mm. is cool.
1: I believe and now i'm starting to question it but i thought i gave you a kovi on trade-off and i thought you really liked it
0: you may well have done <laughs> it
1: could have happened
0: oh yeah i remember the artwork now yeah. yeah okay fine i don't actually remember listening to this but i do remember the artwork and now you've said that i'm like oh yeah, yeah. i remember i remember seeing that artwork so yeah you have so i have listened to one of the albums before although I couldn't tell you anything about it right now, to be perfectly honest. Well, that's
1: okay, because I can. So, Zola Jesus is, what I would say... I would say Zola Jesus is an alternative pop genius. Um, She has a very, very poppy sensibility to her songs, and yet, you know, they're definitely very alternative. The first time I ever saw her was at Roadburn Festival, and it was really interesting seeing, like, choreographed dancing at a festival where like the next band i was watching was sleep you know um but she does a really interesting mixture of lots of different worlds but i really do think she takes the best parts from each world and just discards the stuff where it's like why is that thing like that oh it's just kind of always the way it's been done i think she's really like really really fascinating and really interesting A akavi is like her standout record for me but this is not far behind at all for my money um i think like calling like a song like the fall a big pop banger it does sound like a weird thing to say but then it's got that refrain which is like you know and it's really like once you get those hooks in your head it feels you're like this could be played at a club, surely. I mean, it would be quite weird. But at the same time, it does have those hooks. It's definitely music that has hooks and yet sounds mm. really alternative at the same time, which I really like. She's
0: she's played a blinder getting this out while fucking Kate Bush is number one, though, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, there's plenty. I don't think Zola Jesus is as whimsical as Kate Bush which sometimes puts people off Kate Bush which I can totally understand that kind of pixie s quality mm. but, but yeah undoubtedly there's a lot of Kate Bush in Zola Jesus undoubtedly yeah.
0: yeah I mean I think with stuff like Roeburn that she plays and whatnot it would be very easy to compare this to a more kind of electric focused electronic focused Emma Ruth Rundle or kind of Abyss era Chelsea Wolfe but it is much more in the vein of, I tell you, the, the Churches, Eurythmics, yeah. 80s Susie and the Banshees, bits of Porter's Ed that we've obviously, we did pretty much the entire Porter's zed discography not so long back on our <laughs> more, Patreon. More and, and you know, really, really cool. Like really, really cool. You mentioned hooks. I mean, I will go as far as to say like um, Big Beat. Like when Big Beat was a thing in the mid nineties mm. in dance music and you could put, sort of weird dark ethereal ideas underneath a really kind of propulsive cool beat and um she does that on undertone it's fucking awesome um dead and gone sounds like it's just about to become big time sensuality by bjork it ticks a lot of boxes of a lot of really really wicked big selling alternative yeah artists from that scene for me I said dead Um, and gone sounds like
1: it could be scoring a Disney movie which which I you know and, and I think what you said is perfect as well but like I love the fact that the song's called dead and gone and it sounds that kind of jazzy and like up tempo. the song that gets me the most on this record is um desire this really grandiose ballad that you could imagine Bonnie Tyler or Kate Bush singing it's really i mean some could describe it as pompous but it's very theatrical i suppose and it's very simple it's just her and a piano but it is just so it's just amazing it, it's it's the best that music can get for me when it does that thing where you just really really connect with something it's amazing and and this part where she goes from there's like a couple of choruses and the first chorus is in a lower register and she pauses before the second chorus and then goes into the like desire you know and that pause is everything that pause that little silence there it it shows so much we talked about pauses in music before but that is one of the most stark clear examples of how actually using silence in music can make it even more powerful I absolutely love that song and I had to mention it
0: mm, yeah I really like this record just in general, I think the mixture of it being clearly something weird and alternative but also being very very um, accessible it is also, yeah accessible and it's got its, it, the, the ideas that it takes from and the way the kind of the comp- compositionally although all the ideas are very weird and alternative. Compositionally, it's like, say, like qu- quite a mainstream yeah. sounding record. I wouldn't, you know, like I wouldn't even say simple. It sort of it feels like it's sort of um, almost damning it a little bit because I don't necessarily think that yeah. it, it's meant in like, the
1: least damning way. But yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, but it is like you know these are. I I think I like to think of it more as a, you know the song serving the song and making the song accessible to as many people as possible seems to be something which is like number one on the must do list because every one of these songs has something which draws you in pretty much instantaneously and yet it is quite a dark weird sounding record at the same time so i think that's really cool and yeah i would say that you know this is a this is basically a pop album
1: more or less yeah yeah, mm. I, I, and and I would say her whole discography has that more or less. I, I do think the later albums generally are better than the earlier ones, but that's kind of what she's made her forte, and I think she's fucking great. So
0: her Will Forte, he's this bloke from Saturday Night Live. Do you remember him? Mm. No. Yeah. Me neither. Yeah. It was Me good. Neither. It was good. Well done. Nah, wasn't that good? Was it better than Wet Leg? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, do you want to go into that now?
0: Yeah, uh, that's Archon by Zola Jesus. So it was raining on Saturday, and we were still in the rain waiting for the night's nails to come on. And I was wearing shorts, and I said to Renfrey, "I've already done the punchline before. I've done the fucking setup. Pathetic." <laughs> but I said, uh, "What currently popular indie band am I?" And he went, "I don't know." And I pointed at my wet legs, and I said, "Wet leg." Yeah, it and you was a... went, it "Wasn't worth it."
1: It wasn't worth it. It was a raucous weekend. Um, you then deemed that joke good enough to repeat it to uh, other members of our party later on, which I, which I thought was a sad <laughs> moment for you, but that, that's fine. <laughs> Considering your... Well, look,
0: I was like, I'm sure this is better than you gave it credit for, so I'll try it again. And, Didn't um, get a great response, was... did it? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> but like I always say, you've got to jump to land, haven't you? You've got to jump to quite, land. Quite.
1: I would say mm. in comedian terminology, you died. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but you know valiant effort
0: yeah yeah yeah, um, well, you know it was the it wasn't the highlight of the weekend, that's for sure, <laughs> um, because night nails at the Eden project, um, we saw both nights, I also saw night snowils at Brixton on Tuesday because well, I love them, yeah, what are you gonna do, what are you yeah. gonna do about it? I love them. I don't really know where to start with this. Do we do Brixton or do we do... We should probably do... Basically, everything... Brixton was great. Let me do Brixton really, really quickly. Brixton was great, right? And there were people who didn't go... I feel a little bit like... How I feel about the Brixton Academy show the other day was kind of how I felt about going to see Night Snails at the Royal Albert Hall when they came over in 2018. I had seen them two days before the Royal Albert Hall. I know you did as well. I'd seen them at Royal Festival Hall... And I think nights Nails at Royal Festival Hall remains the best gig I've ever seen in my life, right? And two days later, they rocked up at the Royal Albert Hall and they were 9.89 out of 10. They were right? excellent, but- They were but, fucking yeah. excellent. But they weren't quite as good as the perfection that you got at Royal Festival Hall. So you had to walk away and go, It wasn't actually as good, and I would say of the three gigs that I saw Nine Inch Nails at, um, in in that kind of five day period, uh, Brixton was the weakest. Um, There was nothing other than sunspots they played uh, for the first time ever. For the first time ever, Mm, which is cool. You know, I mean, it's not one of my favourite songs, but I'd basically seen everything they played uh, over the weekend. It was a kind of amalgam of the two sets that they did at the Eden Project. But when you look at this set list, I'm just going to read out the Brixton one. Mr. Self-Destruct, Wish, Less Than, March of the Pigs, Piggy, Sunspots, Everything, Don't Need Everything. We'll probably talk about that in a little bit. Sanctified, Heresy, Letting You, Copy of uh, The Lovers, Closer, Perfect Jug, I'm Afraid of Americans, Fashion, Down In It, Gave Up, Hand That Feeds, Head Like a Hole, Reptile, Even Deeper, Hurt. That is a good set list. Yeah. That is a good 23-song Set list.
1: All three of them were. And I think, you know, I've talked about it plenty of times before, but Nine Inch Nails are one of those bands who change their set list up. I my guess in terms of how they do it is they'd like rehearse like forty or fifty songs and then just sort of change around mm. the order and, you know, have a couple of different sets and stuff like that. What was great about the Eden project shows is they very much felt like two very different shows because the set was totally different. There were a few songs that were played at both shows. So Wish, for example, Hurt. I mean, I've never seen a show that they played where they haven't ended with Hurt. Head mm-hmm. Like a Hole, you know. Um, but for the most part, you know, they did like 23 songs a night and I would say 18 were different on the second night. And yeah. it felt... I mean, there's no such thing as a Nine Inch Nails Greatest Hits, really. But First Night did feel, it's not Greatest Hits at all, really, when I look at it. But it, it certainly felt like the more accessible set, I suppose, it's fair to say.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say when you think of The Next Night and you get kind of Burn and The Hand That Feeds, both are kind of big songs for Nine Inch Nails that you didn't get on the Friday. So I think they did kind of try and mix it up a bit, but you're right. I think it was something to do with, I mean, I said this at the time, and it's very rare that you go and watch a band, the same band in the same venue, two nights running. And it's not just that you get a different set list or even a different show, but you get a completely different experience. Mm-hmm. That is, the two nights in the night's nails were two, for me, completely different experiences. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Due to due to, you know, a few other things. So we had like a party banger on the Friday. Everyone was wearing shorts and, you know, t-shirts and sunglasses and it was sunny and the Eden project itself as a venue looks fucking amazing, you know, like when you see the big orbs and the greenhouses and all this kind of greenery surrounding you and you're in this kind of like amphitheater type thing. This like garden in the middle of nowhere and they set the stage up in front of it and it's you know pretty intimate as well right
1: it's actually a fantastic outdoor space to have a gig Um, which i wasn't really expecting i mean you know there's a few of these sorts of things like Somerset House series you know having a gig in the courtyard of Somerset House isn't really the best place to put on a show for several reasons but there were several things about the Eden Project which made it really really cool there's a Natural steps that went up, so there was almost like a natural raising platform, so even people at the back could see. It did feel relatively intimate. I mean, I mean, I believe it's around five or six thousand capacity, but it did it did feel small. You know, I, I I I was disappointed that I didn't see them at Brixton, but not because I didn't think I'd get anything that I hadn't got from the Eden Project shows. Do you know what I mean?
0: yeah I, I had seats at brixton and i was actually further away from them at brixton right. than i was at the eden project yeah. and i kind of booked brixton thinking oh well i'll be able to get closer to them and yeah. i was actually further away yeah. not that you can ever be too far away in brixton like it's you know it's no. kind of all right wherever you are but you know i was sat there and i was like oh it actually weirdly feels like i'm further away from them than i was yeah. in what i thought was going to be this massive i think as you look at it and you go well no gallagher played was playing here nine inch nails are big um, they're not probably as big as My Chemical Romance and Noel Gallagher, but they are big. And, you know, my, my Chem did a couple of nights there as well. And, you know, I saw My Chem playing, you know, they did three nights at a fucking stadium. Yeah, yeah. You know, like big, big thing. And obviously, Noel Gallagher can do huge arenas across the country. So I thought it was going to be big. And it didn't feel big, it felt nice. really fucking intimate.
1: Very intimate. And the sound was fucking great. The sound was really fucking good and and when i see things like that i do kind of wonder to myself i'm like why can so few festivals get this right um i mean yeah okay it's tiny compared to say download or something like that but you know the sound both nights even in the pouring pissing rain i mean when they were playing it was more like spitting really but like the sound was fantastic both nights really hit you, but it was also really, really clear.
0: Yeah, it was. I mean, actually, again, I think the sound was better um at the Eden Project than it was at Brixton. Right. Brixton can be quite hit and miss with sound, but usually for the main band, it's usually kind of pretty good. Especially a band who agonise over their sound so much as Nine Inch Nails. And I thought they did. They sounded good, but definitely they sounded. I think they sounded better at the Eden Project. And you know, look at this set list somewhat damaged day the world went away i mean this is why you're looking at it and thinking this is like hitsville really because you get the day the world that went the day the world went away yeah. um second piggy yeah piggy wish the perfect drug so the perfect drug right now this was something <laughs> where so our our, our friend uh, our friend and yours miss missus i should say eleanor goodman of um uh, the editor of Metal Hammer. I was still with her husband, who is a massive Night Nails fan and I've seen them a lot, right? And when that <laughs> came in, I just went, "Oh my fucking god!" And he sort of looked at me and he was like, "You've seen him play this before, right?" And I was like, "No, I don't think so." And he was like, "Oh yeah, I've seen them play this," and he was quite kind of blasé about it. And I was like, "Have you? Are you sure?" And I was like, "Surely not." And then we looked at the set list. Oh, well, we looked at that song on set. On this is we, based we, on Setlist FM. We
1: looked it up on Setlist FM, yeah,
0: and it's the first time they've ever played it in Europe.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: apparently. Yeah. Apparently. So, I mean, I have been waiting to see that song live. I had a sort of this vague, weird recollection that um, surely they did it at Royal Festival Hall. I mean, I, it would have would make sense that they did, I guess. But then I was like, do I definitely remember that? And I thought, no, I'm not sure. But like, seeing the perfect drug was. I've waited so long to see that song. I mean, I'm like sure one of I'm my sure favorite.
1: Eleanor's husband is a lovely man, by the way. Yeah, he is.
0: Yeah. I didn't go like the fuck, the fucking cunt idiot, did I? <laughs> I just said that, like, <laughs> just I just, wanted, said that, yeah.
1: just wanted a bit of balance. Just wanted a bit of balance. It's
0: all Um, but yeah, but he was like, "Oh no, I'm pretty sure I've seen this before," and I was like. Oh, and I just thought, he's seen them more times than me. So I was like, oh, maybe they played it before. But I, but I knew it was a rarity. But I think I looked it up and I was yes. like, oh, maybe. Because he was like, oh, I'm sure you would have seen it. And I was like, is my fucking mind, like, driving me mad? And it turns out it, it wasn't. I, I haven't seen it before. But it was absolutely amazing. And you get closer, copy of uh, I'm Afraid of Americans and fashion. Doing a David Bowie, like, mm. I was delighted that they did I'm Afraid of Americans. But then when they went into fashion, yeah. which you would think is... Uh, like a really fucking weird Bowie song for them to pick.
1: Really weird, yeah.
0: But it was great. Like, it was great. It was really, really good. Um, and then like Down In It gave up head like a hole. Everything and the encore don't need. March of the Pigs and her. I mean, that is... Yeah. That is Hitsville.
1: Yeah, yeah. For Nine Inch Nails. Absolutely.
0: And it was sunny and it was lovely and everyone was kind of singing along and dancing and, and drinking and it was like... It's weird that Nine Inch Nails, this kind of... Really, sort of um, a band who were born from kind of frustration and all of their songs are about like darkness and you know being in agony and sort of mental torture and all that can write these songs which have basically become huge sort of guitar pop anthems in a lot of ways.
1: Bit like corn.
0: Bit like corn, yeah. But Reznor's written these bangers, writes these massive bangers about like. I'm gonna slip my throat. Like do you know what I mean? Like in yeah. they and you got all these people dying do you just think, my like, God, I wonder he probably never could have seen that coming back in the day. But yeah, he they can put a set a set together which just feels like a massive sort of euphoric good time show in the yeah. sun.
1: Yeah. It was it was it was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. Like probably will go down I it's certainly gonna be one of my favourite shows of this year. It may even go down as one of my favourite shows ever. It was absolutely amazing.
0: Yeah. It was it was brilliant. And arguably, you know, we woke up the next day. It was absolutely fucking pissing down. Of course it was. I mean, you did say to me it was going to rain. And I thought to myself, looking out the window on the hottest day of the year, I was like, it might rain. But it's not going to rain, rain. It's not going to be, like, horrible. And, of course, it was. And uh, we'll talk about some weird places and some sort of scenic places that we've seen bands before. Uh, Eleanor reminded me when she sent me to um, Metal Mountain in Austria, oh. which is on a mountain in the snow. And I went to that and I just wore Converse and a hoodie. And Derek, Derek Bremner has got a picture of me on a mountain, like not sort of up a hill, on an actual snowy mountain in jeans, Converse, Uh, uh, and a hoodie Mm. and that's all and i was like this is the coldest i've ever been watching a band ever Mm. in my life Mm. until sunday when i wore shorts and saturday um, saturday Saturday, sorry uh saturday where i wore shorts and a sleeveless t-shirt to watch nine inch nails um in a torrential summer downpour i'd like to
1: point out listeners that about an hour prior to getting to steve's house I checked the weather forecast and said, Steve, it's gonna be raining on Saturday. Uh so just so that you know. Which I sent as a sort of hint you might want to bring a coat. So
0: Yeah, but I just thought, how bad can it be?
1: Well how turns bad can out it be? Now bad. I know.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. Pretty bad. <laughs> pretty fucking bad. So, you know, that happened. Um but I want to shout out one of our listeners and uh, someone we know, Ed, who gave me a hat. Thanks, Ed. Yeah. So I didn't get I didn't get a wet head. Cheers, Ed. We didn't get an opportunity to that. give it back
1: to you, Ed, which is ridiculous. But hey. Yeah, I
0: know. Sorry, I'm gonna mail. I'm gonna mail him his hat. You
1: thieved a hat.
0: But what we should say about that particular night was that I mean, again, a, a great set list, mm-hmm. but a very different set list. Mm-hmm. Um, this time, you know, I think people may or on social media have seen it rained and then the sun went down and we got this kind of. Blood red sky, and as the sun sort of went down and the rain stopped, a rainbow came up from under the sky alongside Nine Inch Nails while they were playing "Lemur."
1: I know, yeah, it was so beautiful. It was one of it, just, it, it was one of those moments, one of those moments where nature intervenes, and you just go, "Ah, it's all worth it." Like all the shit I've been through, all the like being in the rain and stuff, just seeing that rainbow come out of the sky whilst they're playing. Uh, can you think of a more perfect song for mm. that rainbow to come out in Nine Inch Nails' back catalogue than Le <laughs> No. I know.
0: I and The only time I've ever seen them play that song was the first time I ever saw them in
1: 1999. Oh, wow. Cool. I love that. So, song so uh, yeah,
0: I do. I fucking love that song. So I was like, that is so brilliant. And that happened. It was so... When they started playing it, I was... I got as excited for that in a completely different way as I did for, like, you know fucking every day is exactly the same or the hand that feeds or you know wish oh, or more excited burn or yeah 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 it was fucking brilliant so you know you get the beginning of the end wish again letting you discipline march of the pigs this isn't the place sanctified reptile lemur less than the line that begins to uh, sorry the line begins to blur burn uh, which was great ecoplex and then like this little run of survivalism and it was the frail not into the wretched into every day is exactly the same Every day is exactly the same, only hand that feeds head like a hole. Rich Hobson, who we were with, who is who, who writes for Metal Hammer, um, uh, his favorite album of theirs is With Teeth. Mm. And he was like, that little run of stuff from With Teeth was just fucking made everything worthwhile. He, he was dead happy with that because he loves yeah. With Teeth. But you look at it and you've got, you know, like four songs from With Teeth, um, three songs from The Slip, two songs from Ad Violence, two songs from year zero. I mean, you know, a three from the Damned Spiral and Broken, but you know, you, the only one song they played from the Fragile that night was Lemur, and they yeah. completely changed their setlist around and then at the end and that encore you get Help Me I'm in Hell, Happiness in Slavery, first UK performance since 1994. Again, I'd never seen that before. Mm. That's the first Nine Inch Nails song I ever heard. So that was fucking amazing mm. um, and all that could have been yeah. and hurt to end with. Like, fucking incredible two absolutely incredible gigs and just to kind of you know to go from that kind of sun-kissed mosh heavy sort of beer drinking party gig to this sort of rainy cold slower more dour more kind of downbeat more delicate and pretty set that I, i'm struggling to think of another band that would be more perfect to see twice in the same venue and have that like it was so fucking unique to see those two completely different shows like watching two completely different bands
1: yeah i i've always felt this about nine inch nails and that's one of the things that i adore them the most like, about them the most i always felt like every single time you see them you're seeing a really quite a different show almost a different band in some ways i remember seeing them at the o2 arena on the ninja tour when they co-headlined well when Jane's addiction had a special guest slot with them and they were just like tearing like actually tearing the place apart it was ridiculous and then the next time i saw them at the o2 arena was after hesitation marks it was a far more kind of electron like they turned it into more like a rave or something like that um i mean other bands you could do that radiohead
0: yeah Um, I'm not going to sugar babes (laughs) sugar babes
1: I'm not going to say the obvious one on the the tip of my tongue because whilst Pearl Jam do change their sets every single night the way that Radiohead can structure a set and the way that Nine Inch Nails can structure a set in a thematic sort of sense I think is even stronger than how Pearl Jam can do it I think Pearl Jam can do it Mm. but not to the same extent so I will throw that in with that caveat
0: um mm. i don't know this is good right is it? good right i might isn't? have
1: been able to i don't know but yeah i mean a fucking phenomenal band like the I, even seeing stuff like survivalism like survivalism is one of my favorite songs from probably for my money the most underrated nine inch nails album which is year zero which i think is amazing reptile was like never bad when they're playing reptile (laughs) like never ever ever um it was it was absolutely beautiful i think every single time they play her it's nine times out of ten absolutely extraordinary um the way that i remember i remember one of those o2 arena shows it really did feel like not a single person in the entire room was talking whilst they're playing her and it can make for some really extraordinary moments but I thought the version of her on the first night in particular just was really beautiful particularly in that environment and in that setting it just felt really amazing and Hmm. they utilised the biomes behind the stage as part of the, the light show as well which we should have pointed out actually which was just a really cool additional feature I mean the light show and all that kind of stuff was amazing it wasn't the most... Production-led Nine Inch Nails show I've seen. It was actually relatively sparse for them. Still um, love
0: the co- uh, copy of uh, where they sh- yes. sort of beam themselves on the back wall, That's kind brilliant. of and it moves. That's yeah, brilliant. so good.
1: Um, and yeah, for them it was relatively sparse. They had like little bits of the lighting rig on the stage in kind of like a sort of barbed wire first world war kind of thing you know those things that they had on the beach they looked a mm, bit like that mm. um and an amazing light show but other than that that was it in terms of a show which is relatively sparse for else, but it didn't matter didn't matter at all
0: no not at all i thought it was fantastic and that speaking of the biodomes and uh, and whatnot brings us to a kind of the topic that uh we're gonna i guess sort of close the show on which is for me I'm trying to think of places where I've seen a a band that has been more aesthetically pleasing than The Eden Project. It is memorably, unbelievably aesthetically Mm. aesthetically pleasing. Mm. Like, it's a beautiful place to watch a band. And I found myself occasionally during certain moments doing kind of whole 360 degree head turns just to be like, Look at where we are in this fucking place. Like, it's incredible. Um, I'm gonna shout out Red Rocks yeah, um, in yeah. the US, obviously, as one. I'd kill I to mean, to a gig
1: at Red Rocks. I'd-
0: I would love to go to a gig at Red Rocks. I mean, if anyone has seen, I'm sure a few of you have, have seen the famous U2 at Red Rocks in the rain, which again, you know, under a blood red sky where as the sun goes down after plenty of all, all the rain you know it just the sky just looks absolutely amazing but you know recently we've had Gajira uh, uh at red rocks was something that c- that came out a-, a little while ago which was amazing i know incubus did it as well renfrey one for you isn't it yeah and, incubus um, did.
1: opeth have done it pearl jam released a um, box set of them playing the gorge at red rocks amphitheater so yeah loads yeah loads, loads,
0: loads, loads. um there's plenty of there's plenty of cool places i mean i would say that somebody sent us in we are talking about it, and somebody said they've always wanted to go to I don't know if you've got our our, um, got right our, our our Twitter feed up in front of you at all but somebody Mike Tyler and actually Sam Sam, Sam Slight who was on the show uh, a few weeks ago I keep looking for excuses to go to the Wilder Balloon in uh, I think it's so, they say or Wilder in Berlin now I've been there to the Wilder Booner oh, okay um, can I think can't pronounce it. Don't need to. But um, I I think it's really cool. I think, personally, I think the Eden Project is better. Yeah. I think it's a cool venue. It's a really, really cool venue. It is just basically a massive amphitheatre. And um, Depeche Mode did a live concert movie uh, there a couple of years ago. I think, obviously, Ramstein played it a bunch of times. I saw Volbeat and Airborne there. So I didn't quite see something as good as... <laughs> Those other two bands, I don't know if that played a little part in it not being quite so good because, you know, <laughs> Danish cowboys and Australian people smacking beer cans on their head. It's probably not quite as good as the Peshmerd or Ramstein show, the, but The, fine, pic, the picture good. does
1: make it look very good. It's kind of a, um, uh, imagine like a Roman Colosseum style seating um, and it's very round and it looks good. Mm. And it's next to a forest, which is
0: nice. It is next to a forest. It's actually like, it's quite, it's a full blown massive park so it's a bit like high park you kind of have to drive right into it and then you Ah. suddenly get to this uh, yeah it's cool it is good there are a few others i mean are there any that you can think of that you've been to yourself before i get into everyone else's picks because i mean i did see tesseract playing on uh on top of a a a hotel made of ice in uh in um in greenland in 2015. During the Northern Lights, with the Northern Lights in the background. So oh, that was wow. pretty good. Wow,
1: that's that's mm. outstanding. You're going for very natural ones. Um, the only ones mm-hmm. I can think of are actually more man-made, if I'm totally honest. But in Barcelona, they used to put on a festival called Be Prog, my friend. I think it's sort of changed. I think it's basically prognosis now. Um, but it's certain, I think it's the same people running it. But certainly that took place in something that you called, I think it translated as a little village and it was just basically a courtyard, but a courtyard with these really beautiful um Barcelonian architecture really, um, but I can't really explain it any better than that the other one that I would say is man-made um, but it's the Royal Albert Hall I, I, just because every single fucking time I go to the Royal Albert Hall I can't yeah. help but crane my neck all around the place and I think it is a beautiful building it's one of the only buildings i've been to the backstage area and the backstage area is as nice as it <laughs> was out front <laughs> um but yeah those are the only ones like i can't think of many natural spot like most of my natural spots have been you know that field in reading or or arc Tangent festival or something like that which <laughs> which aren't places that i would you know aren't not pretty places but not areas of outstanding beauty i would say
0: well, I mean, Ollie Woodstock actually said it, the indoors of the Royal Albert Hall always impressive. Even yeah. it feels like the two old boys from The Muppet Show could pop up in one of the boxes and complain about the new sugar album. I think that makes sense.
1: <laughs> is that a reference to us?
0: Doesn't... Yeah, I think that probably is a reference <laughs> to us. I like that fucking Sugar show. Um, I, I, and the new album.
1: Well, I, I liked the album more than you did and you liked the show more than I did. So there we go.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sam, again, Sam so sent in Jonas Beach Theatre in Wontar, New York, um, which looks it's basically like half an amphitheatre or half a stadium, but with a stage overlooking like, like a, 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 reser- a reservoir, a mm. reservoir or something. I mean, that is pretty fucking amazing. amazing like that, yeah. that's that's pretty cool. Um, it looks like a, Josh the, it
1: Looks like the sort of stage you would um, have set up in Disneyland, like specifically for yeah. like a fireworks extravaganza or something like that.
0: Yeah. Um Josh Gray said Blue Dot Festival has a main stage right by the Mahoosive Lovell Telescope at Jodrell Bank and they always have a mad light display after dark. Can't wait to see Bjork there in a couple of weeks. That nice. will be really good. I don't know where that is Blue Dot Festival. Um but I mean looking at the thing yeah, in John the background, Bank. it just Okay, right, okay. C- cool. Um <laughs> but yeah, but but I mean the stage looks like a stage and then they've got this massive I like, can looks like the kind of British telecom tower that been squashed like behind it but it's all like lit up and I mean that's that's pretty that's pretty fucking cool yeah that is pretty fucking cool. Um, there are a few other ones that people sent in here. Uh, even though the music is pretty whack, Boardmasters Festival at Newquay is pretty spectacular. I have heard this. That's Kez uh, Cundiff, who well, I think we might have bumped into at the, um, yes. the Night's Nails. We did bump into a few people at Night's as well. Yes. Thanks very much Thank if you. you saw us. Um, uh, Cornwall crew, much appreciated for coming <laughs> over and so saying hello. Um, yeah, like the, it's scenic around that part of the the, the country, Absolutely no doubt. Um, Somebody, Craig, said, saw Manics Bot Party in Noel Gallagher at Bristol Harbourside. And again, anything on water with water behind it looks fucking cool. Right? I mean, actually, the old Coachella. Have you ever seen the early, early Coachella sort of stage where they didn't have, like, a curtain? It was just a big... It's like in the desert, but then there's water behind it. There's a kind of ocean behind it. And they didn't put any... um, any kind, you know they kind of have the tarmac the sort of the not tarmac the the sort of the the rigging is covered by you know a um, curtain the, like curtains and stuff yeah right and, like, whatever <laughs> and they difficult. didn't have any of it it's just like yeah i know um but yeah, yeah so, have, so it's it, just not so you can see out yeah you back. watch watch the foo fighters um i think it's like 2000 and Two two thousand and four era Foo Fighters playing with Coachella back then, and it's really good. Nice, like it's like it, it looks really cool. I see setups water-
1: like that. I see more setups like that in the states than I do over here, which makes me go. I wonder if there's something to do with that. I have no idea. I I have never seen that setup in the UK ever. I don't think. Whereas yeah. whereas it seems to be not popular, but but I've seen several. I've seen quite a lot of footage of stages set up like that in America. Hmm.
0: Over years. Yeah, that's cool. Um Sam Lomax sent us a picture of Valdala in Sweden. And mm. I've never heard of this before, but it's basically like it's in the middle of fucking nowhere and there's just a big crater with again water and a stage. Like like a kind of um like a sort of um
1: It looks like a st- bond villain's lair.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was gonna say it's like the sort of uh, it's like a a meteor has hit this forest and there's a festival going on yeah. on the meteor. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's really cool. I, I it's it's, re- that looks really wicked. It's my favorite of the ones we've been sent that I didn't know about before. So thank you so much. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: I um I went to Metal Days in Slovenia. Oh And yeah. and the actual so where it's this sort of little village town in the middle in Slovenia. And it was boiling hot and it was in a it's in a forest and it's got a man made beach at the bottom of this forest. And they've got a main stage and a second stage. The main stage they just put in a car park on the edge of the thing. So they sort of set it up and you're like, Oh, this is just like a basketball court with a big stage on the end of it and it's not really that kind of scenic. You can look behind you and see and you can see the mountains and stuff. But the second stage was actually in the forest. I nice. when I say in the forest. I mean, it's like the stage was there, and there are trees. Sort of, if you stand like, like the like the underworld in Camden, if you stand in the <laughs> wrong place, you get a massive pole in front of you. <laughs> so, but I remember sort of watching the Black Dahlia murder. Like when it was packed, it looked fucking incredible because it was like some kind of um, some kind of battle scene from like a you know a, a a fantasy film or something mm. but with this like death metal band playing in the background it was absolutely amazing so that was really good and there's a sort of beach on the on the you know like a 10 minute walk from it you can there's this massive man-made ravine with a man-made beach on it really really cool so that was another cool one i have to say metal I metal feel- mountain although i was cold that did look good as well <laughs> watching a band watching a band even though we only got to watch like a fucking acdc covers band in the snow but it was pretty good
1: I feel at liberty to say that um whilst, whilst they don't have a man-made beach uh there is a forest stage at 2000 trees which is lovely so
0: mm.
1: don't think you'd see black dahlia murder on them because it's usually more acoustic stuff that they put on there but it is very nice
0: yeah i mean you probably wouldn't see black dahlia murder unfortunately ever again so thanks for bringing that up room appreciate point. that um <laughs> uh uh let's do one well, another one that Craig said actually um, not quite as exotic but this is a great venue Daniel Johnson at the Union Chapel he saw now the Union Chapel is a really cool in London is a really cool place to go and watch bands it's not as big or as grand as it, but it is well it's a chapel isn't it and it's,
1: it's a massive fuck off chapel and it's lovely yeah
0: of an evening when you know when the sun goes down and they put the lights on and you see those kind of stained glass windows and you are mm. Sitting in a chapel, you do feel like you're watching something a bit, um a bit kind of. Do you know who I special
1: seen at Union Chapel? Jamie Lemon, You Too.
0: Fuck off! Did you? <laughs> when? I can't
1: believe I've had this over you for ages, and only, I've only never thought to bring it up. So, when did you see You Too at Biff- Union Chapel? Biffy. Well, okay, I'm stretching it slightly, but only slightly. Oh. Biffy Clyro. Um, played a headline show at Union Chapel and supporting them was Bono and the Edge. And they played a half hour It's not the same.
0: <laughs> That's not the same. It's not U2, yeah.
1: <laughs> well it's Bono and the Edge. I mean it's the two what what the other two called? Doinky Doink and Flim Flam.
0: <laughs> How dare you fucking mug off Adam Clayton, the best member of U two. The best member of the best band ever.
1: I knew it was called Adam Clayton. but anyway, um, I mean, I think that is that's pretty close, and it wasn't announced or anything like that. It was just literally like, ladies and gentlemen, Bono and the Edge, and everyone's like, "What did what? they play? What did they?
0: What did they play? Oh, what did they play? Where that's the fair.
1: streets have no name."
0: Yeah, I've heard we're going
1: that. back. Like, I just moved to London, so it was around two thousand seven. This happened.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jesus, I'll that's cool. I'll
1: see if I can find the. Um, I might be able to find the set list
0: but you guys just sit here and wait no you i was gonna say yourself. i think you should talk about something else <laughs> uh well i didn't have any more i mean i've had a few shouts. i mean funnily enough i was looking at brixton academy the other day and i was like it's quite a nice building this you know when i was up in the kind of top part of it i was like it is actually a nice building isn't it brixton academy it's it a, nice a nice building build. somebody else said the kentish town forum and it's funny enough actually i was when i was watching deftanes the other day i was looking around kentish town forum and i was like it is nice in here, isn't it? It's actually like kind of looks quite nice. Those old theatre buildings, they do actually look quite nice. I mean, I wouldn't say either of them. I think like Coco looks nice if you're talking about London venues. I think Coco looks nice. It's just when you're there and you're watching something. Yeah. You're like, I'd rather it was a bit dingier, but it sounded good and I could see.
1: <laughs> I think if we opened it up to um uh, you know, like Venues like Brixton Academy and Coco in the Forum, you're sort of setting the bar quite a bit lower then. I mean, yes, Brixton Academy does look really nice to look at. I guess the Forum does as well. Like, it does have those nice kind of blue... It's got that Roman Coliseum-y type kind of yeah uh, theme to it. But, there, you know, there's plenty of nice-looking venues, but there's other things that kind of get in the way as well, aren't there? Like, Brixton sounds sometimes amazing but sometimes awful i'd say the same for the forum probably say the same for coco actually so i think there's i feel like this is a slightly different thing you know
0: i i do i do as yeah. well yeah yeah i mean they're not comparable to the type of venues that we've been talking about um, bradley Castle also said old trafford come on mate <laughs> yeah, yeah. come on just because just because william Prunier played on that pitch I I've no. seen. Do you know? Do you remember William Prunier, Renfrey? No. Um, no. I found. I Don't found, worry. Don't worry. Nobody does.
1: I found Bono in the Edge's set list from uh, uh, the um, from that gig. Uh, they That's only good because played... I was
0: about to go into naming loads of really obscure Manchester United players, so good. it's probably for the best. They um, found that
1: they only played four songs, and uh, they didn't play "Where the Streets Have No Name." They played "Stay Far Away, So Close."
0: Oh, lovely stuff.
1: Desire. Ange- oh really cool. Angel of Harlem and Wave of Sorrow Birdland.
0: Well I mean the first three are great.
1: Oh here we go. Surprise acoustic set as part of Mencap's Little Noise Sessions. Adam Clayton is in attendance but does not perform. So he was
0: there, Steve. I don't think that counts.
1: Yeah, but he was there.
0: Yeah. Well corn were there when we went to see Deftones at the forum the other day, but we didn't say we didn't <laughs> go and see corn and deftones together, did we?
1: Yeah, but they were there.
0: right okay where's Larry Mullen you can't have you two without Larry Mullen
1: he was he he was he just popped off to get some fish and chips but he he was there later
0: he's a vegan actually so I don't know if you do that I don't know if he's a vegan actually I made that up and you just (laughs) believe it straight away you just completely believe it Um, alright fine anyway that's enough about nice venues and um, Renfrey getting to see gigs that I would have liked to have seen Uh, we'll be back next week thank you very much for listening um we, it's gonna get a little bit less busy, I think, in the world. So we're gonna try and do some Patreon stuff at patreon.com forward slash Act podcast. Keep your eyes out for that. I'm not gonna say too much more other than that. Uh next week I don't know what's going on next week, really. Oh, I'm gonna see Elton John tomorrow. Elton yes. John and Rena Sawayama. So we'll probably do that. We'll probably talk about oh. Glaston- Glastonbury's on telly this weekend, isn't it? So watch Glastonbury. That'd be nice. Probably, yeah. you know, talk about that a little Might
1: bit. Do a bit of that. There's new albums from Greg Pusciotto, Conjure, Blood Command. Uh,
0: all right. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Go over to arctangent.co.uk forward slash tickets. Put in the code right Act ATG. You can get 10% off tickets to one of the finest festivals that you will see if you like good music here in 2022 or any 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 year really uh, Thanks to them for sponsoring the podcast. We'll be back next week until then Toodle Pip.